Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Dr. Effie Miri. Effie is a native of Iran who studied in the United States and became an American citizen after the Iranian Revolution. She has a PhD in psychology and was a professor, and she's now written a memoir of her journey between the two cultures. Her book is called Iran, How a Culture Develops Pathology. In it, she reflects on the deep-seated psychopathologies that she has observed among Iranians that she believes may stem from a fear-based interpretation of Islam that has been enforced by the regime, as well as the traditional treatment of women in their culture. I'm delighted to welcome her to this show. Hello, Effie. Hello, Miriam. Now, Effie, there seems to be a really fundamental conflict in Iran about how to treat women. Because on the one hand, there there seems to be this great protectiveness and pressure to marry them off as young as age 13, like your sister. While on the other hand, there are women who are are professionals and and you were even sent to the United States to study and get your PhD at the expense of the government. Um, what what do you think is underneath all of this? Well, Marianne, there is a transition. There is um, a transition. There have been um, a trend and norm of treating men and women differently long time ago. It's not only now. And, and obviously it was religiously rooted. Um, but it goes back, and then gradually there were some changes, and um, regardless of the norm, there have been people, such as me and many others, that made their way to go out of norm and to continue studying. Mm-hmm. So you so it's not yourself yeah. an exception to the rule? Well, kind of. Um, Although right now there are a lot of women who go for education and they have made their way to, um, for social progress and, and changes, but then in the past, for such a long time, Iran has been one of those countries that treated men and women differently and the consequences were for bad for men as well as women. Um, so when I go back to my life history, I could be one of them. I could be one of the girls uh, that could marry very early and then become a statistic, mm-hmm. like one of the other women. Mm-hmm. That um, either they were deprived from going to school or they had to be forced to early marriage. Right. You had to fight to go to school. I was really impressed by the determination that you showed, not only to uh, get to school, but to get a college education and then to go on to advanced degrees. Why do you think you had that grit and determination? Well, um, I have thought about that myself. And I think that is a reaction and a defense against um, the condition I had faced in my personal life when at age two, my mother left, left us, me and my 
older sister who was five years older than I was. So at age two, I'm left with um, no mother, and my father uh, married very quickly, and my second mother um, started having children, one after each other. And um, so my father was not that much loving or expressive love or anything. He was just working. So I felt like I was very lonely and I was allowed to myself. And I was feeling that I think that was a defense um, and a compensatory defense to replace the school and good grades and recognition by the teachers and school principals and friends. Um, for what I was missing at that time in my life. Mm -hmm. So school was really like a defense. You do point out in your book that, in general, um, the Iranian uh, attitude towards work is very disciplined. People are really driven to excel. do you think that this is um, a similar reaction? Why, where, what does it stem from? Well, uh, I uh, have thought about that, and I think that, uh, and it's part of my defense mechanisms about Iranian culture and Iranian psychology in Chapter 4. I um, know that Iranians have one basic characteristic, and I call it futuristic defense mechanism. And that is, they always train their children for the future, for the future development, future success. And so even the mothers, generally, that they haven't gone to school themselves uh, because of early marriage and because they don't know parenting that much, but they had so much love for their children. And also the belief that they had to uh, progress in life, not the girls. The girls had to marry the same like herself, but the boys generally had to progress and to um, become socially successful, become always doctors and engineers. And so um, socially Iranians altogether are um, developed well but and but then by personality they are not they they have there are something missing because through the whole years of um educate of, of raising the children and i have discussed that many many times in my book that the children are generally are not paid attention psychologically that much um, because um, up to age four or five, they always say, oh, there are, there are children, they are going to be okay, no problem. And then all of a sudden at age five, six, seven, they have to discipline them. You have to do this, you don't have to do that. And then there is not usually that much of uh, getting the children to play, asking them questions, who you are, who you are not, who you want to choose, what you want to have for dinner, you know, simple questions. None of those are generally asked. Everything is prepared by the working mother and, and loving mother. And so they are paid attention for school, but then the inside that what I call it um, self-identity and self recognition is generally lost. So they go by norm 
not by internal growth and development. So socially, they are developed, but psychologically and personality, there are a lot of pieces missing. So how has this uh, manifested itself in your practice, in the people that you treat as a psychologist? Well, I see it frequently if you ask an Iranian, well, that doesn't mean that non-Iranian know themselves, but I'm not talking about them. I talk about um, Iranians. If I ask them, how do you feel about yourself? Who do you think you are? Give me three definitions of who you are. They usually don't. And I think um, this self-identity is manifesting itself and also um, uh, religious attitudes that they are, they are raised by parents, and especially the mothers, that they are often traditionally religious people. They um, showed it to the whole um, um, time of revolution because it seemed that the foreign countries, um, Western countries, knew this, this psychological characteristic of religious mentality of Iranians more than Iranians did. So um, right at one point, they all go to the streets and they all say, oh, we want the new regime. They are very supportive. They were very supporting. And then right away, within a few years, they say, that few months, they say, no. We don't like it. They put their back to it. So something seriously missing, and that is the self-recognition and self-identity um, of the whole condition and, and what they want and what are the criteria and what, are the, you know, uh, what they, they really want and what they know about themselves. Now, uh, this, this is yeah. a very profound observation because if we're talking about um, the pathology, uh, as, as you state in your title, how a culture develops a pathology, um, what is the particular pathology that you're observing? And um, that that's you a very good question, yeah. Mm-hmm. The pathology I'm talking about is psychological um, symptoms. And those are like anxiety, uh, depression, anger, um, guilt, shame. These are psychological symptoms that by um, quantity, they are all the same for all people over the whole um, earth. Every um, person from all over the, the world, they feel and they know these symptoms. Um, so some, all of us at any point in our lives we may feel anxious, may feel depressed, may feel guilty of what we said or what we did. Um, so these are the characteristics that all human beings have um, by quality again, but when it gets to quantity, to certain degrees going higher than you know, what it should be, then it causes pathology. So very easily we can change that Iran, how it develops, it, uh, it develops pathology, to uh, America, to uh, Brazil, to Germany, to Bangladesh, because each culture 
develops pathology in its own way. So all of us are born pure, are born good. It's the culture that develops those um, psychological problems. And then in my culture, which is my concern, there are many ways that these psychological symptoms are intensified and show the form of pathology. But for example, in men, I uh, believe and I have um, studied that um, there is a good sense of narcissistic because the way they are, they are raised by the culture and um, grandiosity and ignorance towards women, towards the world because they are the center of the universe. Um, and in the woman, there are feelings of um, low self-esteem, um, um, low um, um, kind of um, uh, independent dependency to men, obedience, and feeling that they are not um, quite um, capable, um, or the, the society has made them that way. That way. Uh, obedience and um, and follow up and uh, uh, anger in, in many ways and self blame and um, kind of you know this kind of both both sides the same men who have that kind of grandiosity when they uh, face their own family they have a lot of uh, anxiety how to run the family how to protect the, the woman their their daughters so pathology changes mostly into um, into um, anxiety, control. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, this is exactly what is explained in, in Chapter 3 when I'm, uh, I was treating a man, Iranian, who was living in America, was from, from a very good family, and um, came here with his wife and his daughter. And so the daughter had mental um, disorders, cutting her skin, because of a lot of pressure he had, she had at home. Mm -hmm. And so when the school found about it, came to our office, the man, Reza, was furious that this does not have to happen to my family. I'm very protective. Um, I'm, I'm working hard. My, I'm paying for everything. I'm paying a lot of love and attention. How come this is happening? And so um, we very quickly I realized that the um, identified patient was not uh, the daughter, uh, was Reza himself. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time before I could say, make any changes in that man because he was controlling. He was controlling to a large degree because he had anxiety if he was doing his role as a father and protecting his daughter from the society. Again, the same um, attitude that the daughter had to stay um, a virgin and the society was bad, was going to get her. And so all of these attitudes that came from her own I um, can family. certainly understand how someone coming from this traditional culture, and I think um, you see it across other, other traditional cultures, uh, where... The um, the father feels responsible to maintain the the honor of the family, and right. uh, really that he, he's doing the best he knows how to do. Uh, do. Do you think that this is 
um, specifically acute in Iran, or do you no. think it's also across the whole Muslim world? Oh, the whole Muslim world. Um, absolutely along the line. As a matter of fact, Iranians are more advanced in understanding the, the rights of uh, women, uh, con- considering and comparing to other um, religious um, countries, uh, because the control is much more respected less, and um, it, it definitely brings some feeling of that the, the, the wife and the daughters are not trusted. There are uh, the feeling of mis- mistreatment and mistrusted is always there and anxiety for women, for men. So, no, it's not only Iran, not at all. It's, um, it's for all of those countries that they believe in the very sense of um, depriving women of, of normal um, relationship, you know, psychological, physical, mm-hmm. and, and emotional. I think it's amusing amusing. in your book. You talk about uh, Iranian students in the United States perfectly happy to um, uh, sleep around with uh, women, but he certainly wouldn't marry one because his wife needs to be a virgin. Uh, This this happened to this this, um, patient of mine, Reza, that um, when the therapy was advancing to a good level, um, and by the way, if the therapy was not mandatory by the school, this man will not, would not come to therapy. But finally, he, he did, and, and finally I asked him that question, that um, have you ever had relationship with a girl here while you were in the United States when you were young, 20 years old? And he said yes, and in front of his wife, admitted that, that he had relationship. But during the whole time, the girl, American girl, had different uh, idea about the relationship that he did. He knew that he was not going to marry her, and, and he was just taking advantage of the situation and thinking that the girls were okay in this country because they were all free to have relationships. But then he knew that very carefully that when he was going back, he had to marry, a, um, he wanted, and he had to mm-hmm. uh, marry a virgin girl. So this is kind of dishonesty. This is um, showing that those pieces of personality I'm talking about that the dishonesty. And right now, at the present time, the, the, the second um, case in Chapter 2, talking about Sahar, Sahar was totally destroyed. And there are many, many girls right now in my country that are really psychologically destroyed. Uh, destroyed. And then these are the ones, like, like Sahar, that they are stuck um, with a lot of problems because and the age of the marriage right now is much higher than before. Uh, expenses for marriage is very high. Uh, for housing is very high. And so the girls have the opportunity to go to school, which is great. Uh, but then what are they supposed to do with that general need, and, uh, biological needs? On one hand, they are stuck with the parents that they don't want them to go out. They, they uh, have to act the good girls of the family. On the other hand, they are needing the needs to go out. And then the men are using the advantage of the situation and they are playing the, you know, the, the, um, 
the lover, and then finally they get into, you know, this close relationship that she did, uh, Sahar, and then finally the man doesn't want to marry her and, and, and would say that the control was not yours. Um, it was um, it was you who had problems. You were easy mm-hmm. and doesn't have any responsibility because by law he's not, he's not into trouble. He knows that the, the girl is not going to tell anyone. And so they go all the way. But the bad part is that their attitude. Why don't you think that you have the right of having a relationship and the girls do not have the right to have a relationship? And that's a major dilemma right now in Iraq. There are resonances here in this country as well. There was uh, recently in the news a case at uh, Brigham Young University, which is a Mormon school that also has very strict attitudes towards sexual relationships. And the girls who were raped on campus were the ones who were blamed rather than the boys who did it. Yes. So tell me, do you see um, any shift happening amongst the younger generation? Um, It is happening. Um, The the parents parents are the ones that are um, suffering. Um, The world is totally changing. Um, and there are a lot of connections to Western countries and, you know, computer and all of those. And they see all of those um, 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 progresses, we may call it, uh, among uh, Western countries. And even among the Iranians who come, who have, they have come to this country and they live here, they are not traditional like that. They let their children and their, their daughters be more advanced. They understand their needs. Um, so they say that, why not us? And so they just have to learn how to respect their, um, their needs and how, to, how far to go. It's just a very delicate um, subject, of course, but then they have to learn how to let the, the men to treat them. Um, so uh, there is a huge change right now. People want freedom, but then the parents are the ones that they are suffering. And the girls are suffering psychologically because they want to be advanced, but they can't. And so there are many ways that they may have relationship, but then there are many ways medically or, um, you know, by surgery or whatever, they, they change themselves. But to me, it's still psychological problems because they have to marry a man who they have to tell them that they are rich. So that's a big lie between um, for, for future marriage. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, psychological problem. It's a, it's a pathology that, that um, the culture develops in, in girls again. So it, these are the ones. But there, there is a transition. Definitely there is transition. And it, before it gets worse, it doesn't get better. Um, but that's the way it is right now. So, and that's why I call that the culture has to train the boys and not oppress the girls. Right. Would you say that uh, Iranians are a religious people? Iranians, that's a very good question. <laughs> Iranians for such a long, long time have been religious and have been Muslim. Um, but the Muslim and, and practices, it has been 
really truly distorted. It has not been what um, real Islamists and real uh, messages that Prophet Muhammad um, was meant to bring. And so uh, Islam is distorted, it's changed. And then it has got to the point that although a lot of Iranian people had their uh, religious mentality, and by religious mentality I mean uh, fear um, and anxiety, fear about punishment from God. God was there to, to punish. Um, and they have to do this or that according to uh, the religious leaders that they were, all, they were not really Islamic, uh, correctly Islamic. And so people for such a long time had the religious mentality, but then after the um, new regime, uh, they all put their back to religion. Uh, so that's a major problem because um, it's a lot of rebelliousness against religion. And so that's why they leave the country, and that's why they're upset, and that's why they say whatever, and that's why then there is a lot of, um, um, say, you know, on Facebook and here and there, they send a lot of messages showing that they're angry at these people and the way they say messages. So it's really distorted, and people think that Islam is what is provided by this group, but it's not. It's... Um, the Islam that they are practicing is practically the um, empirical life of Muhammad at the time, 1,400 years ago. So they are still doing the same thing. They are still doing the same, um, um, you know, verses that he said with regard to living on earth at that time. Mm -hmm. So people at this time, they don't, they don't want that. They don't accept that that is really Islam. And then on the other hand, they don't know what real Islam is. For, for many of them, they think Islam is this, what they are saying, and it's what Muhammad brought, because Muhammad lived at that level. Yes, he lived at that level, but his spiritual, you know, Islamic way was really different. So what is spiritual Islam? You speak a lot about the mystical traditions like uh, um, uh, Rumi yes. and, and Omar Khayyam and Hafez. Right, and Molana. Right. Um, the real Islam, uh, the meaning is um, submission. It's surrendering to God. And as a matter of fact, um, Prophet Muhammad started his life about um, Islam by spirituality. He was living in Makkah, and he was going to Hara Mountain, and he was doing a lot of um, uh, meditation. And through those meditation, he was realizing that what the general people were talking in Makkah about idols were not correct. So he was saying that there is one God and only one God. And that's the God. As a matter of fact, there was a chapter, chapter 112, that I love that. That is just a very beautiful chapter of Quran. And that's the one that all Muslim people around the, around the um, world are, are saying it and they're praying every single day. But I don't think they think about the very meaning of it. And that chapter, it says, and there is only one God 
And, and that's the God that everybody needs, but he doesn't need anyone. And that's the God that is not born from anyone. And it's um, the one that's not giving birth to anyone. And he he's the one that nobody's liking. He's just unique. So this is really um, the God that is everywhere. That is the God that is the, the creator of the whole universe. And the God is not biological, it's all over. And so when you read Quran, uh, there are a lot of these verses that is just a spiritual part of Muhammad. And that is the part that is called in, in Farsi, Kasabufi um, Ish. And this is what Molana and Hafez and Sadi and Baba Tahir and all of them, especially Molana that wrote the book. And Hafez wrote the book, Sadi wrote two books, you know, all of them. Um, that is the part that those great spiritual leaders um, of Iran uh, share with Muhammad the spirituality. And they are saying many, many verses. Exactly the same. And as a matter of fact, there are a lot of Iranians who are real Muslim. They are <laughs> having the, the very notion of, of Sufism. And they are connected to, to the universe. They appreciate flowers, the birds, the, um, the, you know, the, the whole moon. There are millions of uh, verses and poets, um, poems about about mullahs, about them. They are all connected, and that's what Muhammad was. Um, but then these religious, current religious people are not connected to Muhammad that way. So it makes a very big, big change. Here in the West, so, there's a lot of confusion amongst the uh, different strains of Islam. And... Uh, I mean, you, you talk about the, the Iranian um, leadership, the imams, and uh, their very strict uh, interpretation of Islam that has been exported, really, um, to uh, what we would call to, to some of the terrorist groups. Um, Su Sufism, on the other hand, the mystical side of Islam, is even pra practiced by Westerners here. Um, Absolutely. How, how do you understand, how did all of these different strains of Islam come about if they're all really focused on the same uh, Quran? Uh, it, because they are wrong. Um, when you um, think that Islam is submission to one source, one God, and if you understand that, I mean, if we understand that um, there is one formula for creating men on earth, anywhere you go, here, 1,000 years ago, uh, 10,000 years ago and 10,000 years after this, there's only one formula, man and woman, set to get together and there's all the potential of becoming a, a um, human being. That is the law of God. That's the submission. And so everybody, all of the people are born equally. 
there is no division. And in nature, the whole nature is having submitted to one God. Um, we see, like, for example, the um, a bird. You see, we have seen, have the experience that the two birds for such a long time, um, they make a nest and they have their eggs and they sit on it and they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth and give the food to their kids. And then as soon as they are capable of uh, flying, they all, four or five of them, father and mother and the children, they all fly into the nature. Done. Their job is done. It's the human being that there is division of idea, and especially division of Islam, that two groups kill each other and they call each other Muslim. I mean, that I don't really know if it would be accepted by Prophet Muhammad, and that's what the real message of Islam is. There is no difference. All the uh, religions, leaders of the, all the prophets, they all said the same thing, submission to one God. Well, certainly so the division is not correct. Yeah, certainly Christianity uh, historically has had its own problems uh, with uh, uh, straying from the core message of its founder, Jesus. Um, certainly during the, the Crusades and the Inquisition and so on. And, right. uh, you know, even today there are um, in American society fundamentalist sects that have uh, a lot of similarities with the patriarchal uh, religion uh, as practiced right. by the, the imams. And, in fact, it was not that long ago really just at the turn of the last century, that women um, started to be recognized um, as uh, sovereign beings rather than chattels, rather than possessions of their fathers yeah. and their husbands. That's right. So maybe, yeah. maybe it's just that um, uh, the, the Muslim world is making its way along the same path that we have crossed in the West just, um, right. you know, a little later. Right. That, that's correct. Um, and, and to me, um, oh, well, it's, it's up to people to choose what they believe, if they know what they're doing, as long as it's not forced. Um, but when you study the, the history of religions, there are all of these um, misinterpretation about the very essence of, of, of uh, religions, uh, which is the Sufism, the Jews of all the religions. So, um, yeah, to me, um, I mean, there is always curiosity about what the religion is all about, who is um, God, and how to worship, and what is he doing. You know, there's such a mystery somehow, somehow mm -hmm. a mystic approach. But then, um, that's not, to me, that's not the essence. The essence is only one God and one rule and, and one way. And there is no difference between people. And there's no difference between, you know, for the truth of one reality. And uh, the difference between people obviously means the difference between men and women. And so you are making a very strong case 
for the need to change the attitude toward women in particular um, in Islamic culture to avoid some of the pathology that you're seeing. Um, Absolutely. What, what do you think um, is the essence of the change that needs to happen? Just understanding. Um, the men are uh, missing as much as women are. Um, so um, there are half of the population that they are kept inactive for such a long time. Now we can compare the people who have made migrated to like America, women are really active. And so they are helpful uh, in many ways. So it takes, a lot of, it takes a lot of the burden off the men as well. Absolutely. But men don't know, the society don't know. And I, as I, I have mentioned in my book, and I think I'm one of the first ones, that clearly writes and discusses this fact that men are as victim as women. Mm-hmm. But the um, approach that they are with men is just repeated so many times that it has become a norm. Um, they don't know that it's, it's wrong, and, and men are missing too. They, are, they, they don't know really, and at the very end, I'm talking in, in Chapter 3, that um, Reza was saying that life is really different for, for him uh, now that he was treated than before that he was anxious about his wife. Now it was like joy. It was relaxing time together. It was pleasure. It was love, respect. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't before. So uh, the men are definitely missing. They just they don't know. Yeah, yeah. Now you said that your book was not meant to be political, but I read that you spoke about the revolution in Iran and that it was p- politically oriented. Can you speak about this? Yes, um, the revolution was practically planned by Western countries. Western countries always have interfered with the life of other countries. They always call it, uh, we are helping other countries, mm-hmm. but they are helping themselves. This, their benefit to do a lot of stuff with other countries. We always knew about the two uh, superpower of the world. And so Iran is located in a very sensitive area geographically, south of Russia and north of uh, Persian Gulf, and sitting on oil. So the eyes of other countries, they were always on them to control them. And that has not been fair, and people pay the price for it. Uh, very true. Uh, I just reviewed a book called New Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins. And mm-hmm. he was actually uh, working in association with uh, big corporations and the CIA and so on and going into countries and uh, basically subverting the leadership by making them take on loans for big projects and then effectively buying the the resources resources of these countries 
for the corporations. And, and we know that uh, the Mossadegh government was toppled by the CIA. Mossadegh, definitely that. When you're saying that, so I'm bringing it up too because a lot of the Iranians have suffered from this. Yeah. Um, from, yeah, 1913, the oil was... Uh, in the hand of foreign countries, and they were benefiting it. And then in 1953, when Mossadegh was trying to nationalize the oil of Iran, he was um, over some, and then was just done um, by a cop organized by Western countries mm-hmm. and using um, the, um, uh, the group in Iran that they were practically um, gang groups and they were so much money, millions of green green money was in their hands to break and kill and all of those and they uh, they, they most of them lost it this day. Mm-hmm. So why? Yeah. That, that's the interference that they have done frequently. I mean, if you look around the world, you see a lot of uh, regimes that have been toppled. Uh, Iraq being uh, an obvious case in point, where the the result was worse than what they were trying to get rid of in the first place. Iran had the same problem, um, the, the fight between Iraq and Iran, then the regime changed. a lot of it was because of the change of the regime, because they now they dare to get into Iran. And it was religiously oriented to a large degree because a lot of um, people in Iraq, they were, um, they were um, Muslim, uh, Shia, and then they were feeling insecure that now the Shia in Iran would, would um, instigate them and all of this. So that was one of the reasons, besides the... Uh, uh, neighbor, you know, this use for such a long time. But that is started the second problem in, in Iraq and then changed it into a lot of others. It, it's just not fair to many uh, smaller so-called countries that now the whole Iranians are always scattered all over the world. And Do you see any hope in all of this? Um what what is is there a path to uh, changing this this tension this hatred? Um, education, and that's why I wrote my book. Mm-hmm. People have to learn. They have to learn about their psychology. Chapter I think four in my book, our defense mechanisms about Iranian characteristics. Um, many of them, um, um, projection, accusation, you know, attribution, two-sided way of talking, bilingualism, how they talk inside and outside the house, and pretentiousness, and uh, rebelliousness, you know, all of these things put the Iranians in a position that they are not real with themselves. They are tending to each other, to themselves. They have to have knowledge of who they are. Iranians are really smart people. They are hardworking, pure genes. 
and they don't stop. They, um, they are good, good people. Um, but they just are trained and they just don't know the very real self of them. And so in my book, there are in chapter seven, I think there are many re- re- references to how important it is to know the self uh, and to respect that. Uh, I don't know if you have time or not. I could just make one uh, reference. Sure. Uh, to um, there was a book I was reading named um, Odyssey of uh, Enlightenment. It was from Matt Hooker. Uh, my son gave me when I was in California visiting him many years ago. I read that and I decided that on my way um, coming back to just go to one of my apartments that was about to um, get out, um, you know, empty, vacant. And I said, let me just follow what Matt Hooker did. Matt Hooker was very, uh, a German man and um, was um, famous, um, was, had a lot of money, was businessman, and then he decided that this is not the life I'm doing. I want to know to have interviews with the gurus in India and learn about enlightenment and to become enlightened. So he, had, he wrote his book about his uh, interviews with all of those um, world. And then the book was so exciting, you would read that what kind of questions he asked, what kind of answer he got, and you would think about that. And Matt Hooper thought that um, it was um, the answer. Each time that he had the interview, he had the answer. <laughs> the, but the then the book answer. goes, mm. yes, the book goes to the very end. And I was so curious. It was only a few, few lines, of, you know, pages left. What's happening? What's the answer? And so um, he said at the very end that um, his life was like the uh, masked deer, that the, the deer was, was um, one day uh, in the, the jungle. Musk. That, the musk deer. Yeah, musk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you correct me if I'm not saying correctly <laughs> the pronunciation. Um, and so uh, this deer was running around and, and felt a very beautiful fragrance. And he was walking and walking into whole a whole jungle to find that, the source of that fragrance. And so finally he became so tired and so um, was um, sitting down and curling around her, herself and put his hair, her head on his, uh, head, his head, her uh, stomach. And felt the, the beautiful uh, smell was coming from himself. Mm-hmm. So, or um, herself. And Madhuka decided that the, the, everything is come from inside. You have it. And you have to just feel it. Um, you can go around and, and look for it. It's inside of you. And, and that reminds me of another book um, from one Iranian writer. Uh, uh, and he was talking about uh, Shamsabrizi and Molana in one of their conversations. And Shams said the same thing, that he works the whole life, goes from this town to downtown town, looking for um, what was the reality and um, the essence of life. And finally, he learned that 
it was within himself. And he said, to, Tobash, you be yourself in relation to others. Everything is inside of you. So the self is what I'm talking about. And when that is the case, then you work on the self of your children. Don't let them go just for the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, let them learn about them and inside of them. And so education is the answer. Well, I couldn't have asked for a better conclusion to, to our interview. Uh, Dr. Effie Miri, uh, author of Iran, How a Culture Develops Pathology. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, my pleasure.